0: of my favorite uh, TV shows uh, that my boys and I enjoy watching is Forged in Fire. Does anybody know Forged in Fire? Have you ever watched it or know about it? Alright. A couple of us. Let me tell you about Forged in Fire. It's an excellent show. You need to be watching it. It, uh, It's a competition between bladesmiths. Blacksmiths who create blades, knives, swords, that sort of thing. It begins with four contestants, all of them are seasoned uh, veterans of the, the trade, they go through uh, three different rounds, and you end up with one champion, and at the end, you, have, you start with four, you end up with two, and the final two head off to their home forges for a week, and they're assigned a particular weapon of antiquity that they have to forge and craft for themselves, sharpen and all of that, they come back, it is amazing what they come up with, really, really neat, Uh, At the beginning of the show, you have the four contestants, and uh, they they have to begin by taking uh, certain materials, certain types of steel and metal, And they have to transfer it to make it new into something different, into a knife with with a handle. uh, And, you know, that's how they start. So there's always this sort of build up this tension. And it always starts with some different kind of material. And uh, it could be like they, they unveil what the material is going to be that they have to reuse and to reshape into something else. It could be like a massive anchor chain. That they have to figure out what the blow towards and other cool tools and how to, to segment it and, and get it down into a usable form, and then they start shaping and hammering, and, and what they're doing is taking a material that was uh, used for one purpose and they're refashioning it and reshaping it into something new for a completely different purpose, and uh, it's really really a lot of fun. And you get to work with flame. I mean, that's fun. It's awesome. Um, You know, God is in that same business of taking things that were once shapen, sometimes misshapen, used for other purposes, and God is in the business of of reshaping our lives, taking a community and reshaping it for His good purpose. That's what He does. The Bible talks about uh, people who come to faith in Christ as being new creations. It talks about how the old is gone because the newness of Christ has taken hold, of us, We discover in different seasons that, that there are areas of our lives that may need reshaping. Sometimes they sneak up on us. We're not expecting them. But as we take a survey of our life, we begin to notice that, that there are areas that, that need a reshaping. We might find suddenly and unexpectedly that, that hope for our marriage has begun to fade. We might be approaching retirement or in retirement, and, and we may be worried that is, if there's going to be enough money for uh, for my retired years. There may be a work issue that goes unresolved, and, and we have lost hope that it can be fixed or worked in. We can wonder if God is really active. In the world, we can wonder if God is really active in my life. Is is God really active and alert in my school where uh, very few seem to share my values or my priorities? Uh, where I've been working in my workplace and trying to be a witness and uh, very little has seemed to happen. Is God actually there? Is God really in a church like this? Is God really doing things of, of substance and uh, of realness among us? The Bible describes God as being a reshaping God. He is not himself reshaping, but he's reshaping us, and he's making things new because he wants to take his community of faith, the church, and he is in the process of shaping us so that we might, to the world, be a gift. He is in the process of shaping the church community so that we, to the world, can be a gift to, to offer a picture to the world of what God intends to do, uh, before sin entered the world, and what he intends to do to repair the rupture that sin causes. God is shaping his faith community. A couple of weeks ago, we began by looking at our passage in 1 Thessalonians, and we talked about how one of the the tools in God's hands to to shape his community are the relationships that we have. And, And God puts us in relationship with other people, and sometimes those relationships are like silk and they're soft, and they're they're so gentle, and they're so welcoming, and it's like rubbing a, a silk tie on your face, and it's so smooth, and it's easy, and it's, we, we get it, we enjoy it. But sometimes those relationships are more like sandpaper, and you take that same sand, or that different sandpaper, and rub it on that same cheek, and it's so abrasive, and so scratchy, and it's so unwelcome at times that these can be sometimes the very tools that God gives to allow us to be shaped more and more into the image of Jesus. Today in our passage, we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to look at two other aspects of how God is in the process of shaping his faith community. And if you have your Bibles, would you open the first Thessalonians chapter five as we end our series today, the series we've been walking through the last several weeks on this particular book? A book written to a particular group of people in a particular city, at a particular time of history. But God still uses it and helps us interweave it into our lives today. Here's what the Bible says Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Verse 19 Do not put out the Spirit's fire, do not treat prophecies with contempt, test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So God is in the process of shaping his faith community so that we can be a gift to the world And one of the things and aspects of where we see God at work in this passage is by calling his people to habits of hope, habits of hope, God's desire and purpose for you is to be a person of joy, a person of prayer, a person of thanksgiving, not to be a person where your choices are always determined by your feelings, but you're making a choice to grab hold of these qualities, these characteristics, and let those then determine you. Let the rejoicing determine you. Your prayer life determine your feelings, letting your thankfulness uh, be thankful back to God. It's choosing to rejoice and pray and be thankful during all seasons of life. You might say, well, how can that be when there are terrible things that happen in my life and the world? And that's a great question. In fact, the Bay Area has been hit in recent years with so many difficulties. Uh, We've experienced drought and fire and public shootings. Two weeks ago, we, as a church, had the opportunity to dedicate the four unit shower, mobile shower unit that we were able to purchase with some of the funds that Susan Fernjack had left the church. Able to purchase that and donate it to our disaster relief arm of our uh, denomination. And it was such a, a great gift, but uh, I remember being able to see during the Santa Rosa fires one of those shower units at work being used up at a church in Novato as uh, refugees, evacuees were coming out to, from Santa Rosa and other uh, places, and to see how uh, useful that was, uh, to be able to pray with people in their times of need. Several of us... Uh, during that time, we were able to go to the seminary campus when uh, the seminary had departed before Olivet was there, and uh, they repurposed the men's dorm for a season to house firefighters to come, uh, who were fighting those blazes, and uh, some of us got to see how they work and to serve them in those moments, to cry with them and to be beside them. Life's issues can certainly be painful, and they can be extraordinarily hard, there's no doubt about it. But for the follower of Jesus, hope is not lost. In the midst of our difficulties, hope is not lost. That's why we are told to rejoice always, to, to pray continually, and to give thanks in all circumstances. You see, we're, we're not called to, to, to rejoice in the evil, uh, but we are developing habits of hope that call us to look beyond those seasons, to look above them to know that God is holding us firm in their midst, that we are not overwhelmed, because God is the one who determines our future, not not a particular season, not a particular difficulty. That is not, it might describe part of my future, but it doesn't confine or define what my future will be. That is in God's hands. And so the person of faith is able to look beyond those moments and to walk with God through those moments. It is God that we celebrate even in those moments, because He is the God. Psalm 23 reminds us that even though our world is enshrouded in darkness at a particular moment of our lives, God is the one that we trust as a shepherd to lead us through and to guide us into those greater pastures that He has prepared for us. Part of God's shaping of His faith community is by inviting us to practice habits of hope, A second final aspect of the shaping that we see in this passage is that God expects us to have an openness for the Holy Spirit, to be open for the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Thessalonians, this group of of believers in this Greek city of Thessalonica, they were struggling to sort out what it meant to really understand uh, the work of God's Spirit, because here's what would happen. They, They were living in a first century world. Where, um, as in this Roman world, there, there have been seasons where uh, where spiritual life, generally in the culture, was very active, but but those those realities were waning, and it, generally in the Roman culture, there was a, a, an increasing skepticism, even outside of faith communities, of God's ability to speak and His working in them, and in the church particularly, there was confusion. About when somebody showed up on the scene, maybe they wrote a letter or they, they came traveling through and they said, I have a word from the Lord. And the church was wrestling with how do they appropriate that and how do they process that because they don't want to miss something from God, but they also don't want to be duped about something that's not real. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2 we find that, that there was just a, a time people were coming into the church and, and they were telling people that, that Jesus had already returned a second time and it was throwing them in all sorts of confusion and, and despair because if Jesus has already come back and I'm still here and I missed it, what does that mean? And Paul tries to address uh, that as one of the questions in his next letter to the Thessalonian church. The Bible tells us that the main purpose of prophecy, when it says here, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Have you ever watched a candle being put out? When you put the candle out, what happens? There's this little trail of smoke that floats up from it. That's the quenching of a flame. We are warned and cautioned against quenching the role and the work of the Spirit in the church's life. Now, Typically, as Baptists, we were kind of uncomfortable with this topic. <laughs> because we don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to be, uh, be proven foolish. But the Bible says that the main purpose of Christian prophecy and prophetic utterance is not to, to somehow figure out what the future is going to be. That's not its purpose and role in the life of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul tells us that Prophecy is given to strengthen and to encourage and to comfort the church. So when Paul says here to the Thessalonians, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Spiritual life that isn't open to God's Spirit is not very spiritual, do you think? We talk about spiritual life as if it's somehow disconnected from the presence of God's Spirit, but it's not spirit you all life if God's Spirit is not known and interacted with. And so, we have to be open to the working of God's Spirit because God's Spirit's role is to come and to remind us of. Of what Jesus has taught us and to help guide us into uh, a, a, an increasing awareness and increasing like, likeness of Jesus in our lives. God wants us to be open to His Spirit. Open to, but test to be true. Open to the Spirit, but test to be true. Not to be people when our initial inclination is always to be skeptical. That God's Spirit is present and moving and doing something to shape and reform and to challenge our thinking and our lives. We are to be open to the presence of God's Spirit, expecting to hear from God, responding when God's Spirit calls conviction in your life, and not ignoring that role of Him in you. To be open to the role of God's Spirit, but to verify. It's kind of like Ronald Reagan back in the Cold War days when I was growing up. uh, And his his, uh, uh, international policy was, you might remember the phrase, trust but verify. Mm -hmm. Take issues as they come, trust but verify. I think that's the way we're supposed to approach the role and the working of the Spirit of the church. Is that we're going to be open and trust that God will and still works and still speaks. And still calls people to new life, and still reshapes life, and still wants to work in your life. We're open to that. That God wants to come and and work in the church community so that He can continue to shape us to be a gift to the world. But if we say no to the Spirit, and our our ongoing inclination to the Spirit's work is no, no, I'm not going to let you do that, no, I'm not going to respond to that, we're quenching the work of the Spirit. And we're living in a way that is contrary to God. But we're to test. So do we believe every every person that stands up and says, I have a word from the Lord? Not necessarily. Because we're called to be wise. We're called to test. How do we test? I think the Bible gives us at least three different tests of how we test the Spirit. How we test everything so that we can hold on to the good and to avoid every kind of evil. The first test is the, the fruit of the Spirit test. The fruit of the Spirit test. In Galatians chapter 5, you, you are probably very familiar with the fruits of the Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control, right? Against such things, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit's test. Here's how you, you use that as a test. If the Spirit of God is not present, the fruits of the Spirit are not present. So if someone comes and says, I have a word from the Lord, and the fruit of the Spirit are not evident and present, then that is a good indicator that you should be cautious about what you're hearing and how you're going to respond to what you're hearing. Does that make sense? The fruit of the Spirit test. Where the Spirit of God is, the fruit of the Spirit will be were the the Spirit or absent? The Spirit of God is likely absent. Then there's the Bible test, number two. Does the prophecy or the, or the word that someone is sharing, the advice they're giving you, the Lord told me this for you and your situation. The Bible test is very simply this, that if it, it contradicts a very clear teaching of the Scripture, it is to be rejected. If someone comes and says, the Lord told me this for your situation, and in your, your spirit, you say, well, that, doesn't, that does not line up with my understanding of the scripture. Then that is to be rejected. It is the Bible test. It's, it's a good, simple test. So how do you use the Bible test? You have to know your Bible. So you just have to be people who are reading your Bible, and to getting into the Bible and letting the Bible get into you, a third test is this. So there's the fruit of the Spirit test, the Bible test, and then the building up of the community test. Building the community test. First Corinthians 14, I've already mentioned it. But the main purpose of prophetic utterance is not to, to tell the future, is not to say, I know when Jesus is coming back, is is not those kinds of things. The main purpose of prophetic utterance in the church is for the comfort and the strength and the encouraging of the body of Christ. So if prophetic utterance is not building up the community, then you should examine it ever more closely. The Bible describes God as a refining fire, And a refiner's fire, just like in that that TV show, Forged in Fire, a refiner's fire is is there to reshape. It's to take something that was once in one form and to to make it different. It's to pull out the impurities and and to make it pure and usable in a different form. That's what God is doing in your life and, and in the life of a church so that we can be together for the world what God wants us to be for them. So when you realize that your marriage isn't what it should be, do you have hope that God can reshape that marriage? When you're facing your retirement, you're worried you don't have enough money. God can give you new wisdom and new provision and a new view of your future as you focus on God in the midst of that problem and not the problem as its primary source for your comfort. They have work issues. It's not being resolved in your timetable. It's not being resolved in the amount of time you give it God to resolve it. Perhaps perhaps it's part of God's instrument to give shape to you as you work within it. It's God's instrument perhaps for you. God wants to reshape your openness to an awareness of His Spirit. I believe in the church and in a church like ours to be open. And ready and available to God's Spirit to move among us. So that we're ready and nimble and able to follow where He leads us. That is what a church is intended to be. And around your world. God wants to reshape you and your openness. The end of this chapter says this. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. This whole book wraps up with this call to sanctification. This call to be in in alignment with God and His work in you. To be shaping you more in the man of God He wants you to be. The woman of God He wants you to be. The teenager of God that He wants you to be. God is shaping your life. He's shaping this community to be a gift back to the world to demonstrate His goodness and His grace. Father, we thank You for that great gift and the way that You are working in our lives individually. We thank You that You're God. You didn't abandon or or shy away from the challenges and the difficulties You stepped into a broken world and in the coming of Jesus, You came to live among us so that You could do your work of cleansing and reshaping in us. And those of us who have turned our hearts and our lives, our minds fully to you, you have been working in us what great reclamation projects we are, and you are shaping us and you are refashioning us so that we can be instruments usable in your service, and we so thank you for it. And we thank you that he who began a good work in us will be faithful complete completed until the day of Christ Jesus. So we say hallelujah for that. We thank you and praise you, God. Do your work evermore in us. May we be people, may we be people who practice habits of hope. May we be people who are open to the working of your spirit and wise to discern how your spirit is working among us. So that we can grow ever deeper. And our hands can be joined ever more tightly in fellowship together. Thank you so for your glory. And for your kingdom on this earth. And your kingdom to come. We pray it now in Jesus name together.